Institute for my undergrad degree, and it was, it was a fantastic four years. I remember one time, early on in my years, I went to a concert on campus at Moody. I don't remember what, what band was playing. I don't remember what they were doing. All I remember was I was sitting in this auditorium with, with a ton of other students and, and, and watching this band I'd never heard of before, and somebody passed a note down. We're kind of in a stadium kind of seating, so you're sloping downwards, and someone passed me a note. And so I got this note, and I opened it up, and it said, uh, uh, I, I want to meet you. Please be in the plaza at 11 p.m. Okay. Now, uh, presumably that would be a girl uh, that wrote this le- the note to me. And I kind of looked back, you know, and I'm looking up, and I'm trying to see if anyone's making eye contact with me. Uh, but nobody was really looking at me. I mean, it was, just, it was just full, so I couldn't possibly find the person. And uh, all I knew was at that point, you best not take any chances and not show up at 11, you know, because chances are this is not going to go well. So um, so what I did was I, I made sure I wasn't in the plaza at 11, okay? Because I realized if someone's setting me up, they're probably going to have a camera, and it's going to be really bad. It's going to go in the Moody Student newspaper. It's just, you know, who knows, right? Who knows? So I made sure I was not in the plaza at 11. I think I was at someone else's room just hanging out like, hey, guess what happened to me, you know, and telling my story. And then uh, about 11.30, 11.45 hit, and it's like, I guess I'll go back to my room now. It's probably safe. It's probably around, maybe even around midnight. So I'm a little tired. I'm going back to my room. I unlock the door. Uh, the door's locked, first of all. So I unlock the door, open it up, and I go in. The lights are all out in my room, Okay. And, and then I, uh, I go to, my bathroom is right on the right side, as soon as you walk in the room. So I go to open the door in the bathroom, but I notice the light's on, okay? So I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I wonder if anyone's in my bathroom. So I look back into the room, and I see both of my roommates in their beds, okay? And they got the covers up, you know, and it's like, okay, so one, two, my two roommates are here, bathroom light's on, nobody's in there because the door was locked. So I kind of go to open the door again, and there's someone standing in the doorway in my bathroom, okay? I can just see, I can't see who it is. I can only see someone standing right in front of the door. So I kind of do one of these, you know? <laughs> like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> so again, I look in my room a second time, and I verify that, yes, I can tell. I can see my roommates' faces. I know it's them. They're in their beds. So somebody else is in my bathroom, standing in front of my door waiting for me. Okay, so, um, and so I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I wake up my roommates? And I'm thinking, well, then I'd look like a big chicken. And that's not good, right? You know, would you come to the bathroom with me? You know, like, come on. I would, I would never live that down. That just can't happen. So um, I think, well, I just gotta, I just gotta be courageous and open this door and, and look and see who is waiting for me in there. This is not funny, you know? So um, I start to open the door again. And again, I see the figure of a person standing right in front of the door. I'm like, fine, this is it. And I whip the door open. And right in front of me is a life-size cardboard cutout of the pizza guy, the Red Baron. You know him? The Red Baron, the pizza guy, right? A life-size cardboard cutout of the Red Baron, bigger than me. And he's got a note on him. And the note says, where were you in the plaza at 11? I wanted to hang out. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But um, all that to say, today we're talking about the presence of God. The presence of God. And as I think about God being with us, I really hope that we have a lot more to count on with presence 
than having a awkward moment where you, where you feel like you're not alone in a room, right? I mean, sometimes when you think about, like, I felt God with me, you know, what, what is that? What are we even talking about? Is that just a weird time when you got up in the morning and you were lying in your bed and you just felt like, oh, there's someone in the room with me? I mean, that, that kind of sounds kind of scary. Is, is there more that we can count on when it comes to the presence of God than a strange moment of feeling something? And then, and then finding out later that it wasn't God at all because we whipped the door open and we found out it was some other silly thing that was making noise, you know, or something. Um, are, are we just fooling ourselves when these things happen that are like, wow, I had this experience, something happened to me today, and I think it's God, but maybe it wasn't, you know? Do, do we have to go through life so uncertain that, that he's doing something or not? And I think that we can have some certainty, that, that there are certain things that God does that are consistent with his character, consistent with the way he works in the world and in the lives of his people, that we can say, oh, so it happened to them like this, and I've seen it happen to me like this. Okay, we can connect the dots, and it doesn't have to be a one-shot, weird thing that happened to us. It can be consistency. It can be, oh, this is the kind of thing that you do, God, to your people. And so I can expect you to show up, to be here. And even using the word show up isn't accurate because he is always there. Okay, so I want to look at Joshua chapter 3 on the presence of God. Would you turn there right now with me? So my goal this morning is to take some of the, not all of the, but some of the mystery out of God being with us. And the kind of things he does when he reveals himself to us. Okay? Joshua. Chapter 1. Or chapter 3. By saying taking the mystery out of it, I do not mean that when God shows up, it's not supernatural and amazing and astounding. All I mean to say is, we can see what he does in the Bible and we know he's going to be consistent with his character, with his purposes, with the kinds of things he does in his people. And we can say, I've had experiences like that. And we can compare it. So, Joshua chapter 3 is about crossing the Jordan River. We're in a new series called Be Strong. It's about fighting spiritual battles. And how do we do that? How do we fight spiritual battles? Well, this week we're looking at, we fight being strong in the presence of God. Look at Joshua chapter 3. Page 152, if you've got a a pew Bible that you're looking at. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, your God, and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And Yahweh said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, 
Come here and listen to the words of Yahweh, your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. You try that. Um, See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of of Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan's at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a, in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. What struck me about chapters 3 and 4, and we're not going to read all of chapter 4, we're only going to look at a couple pieces of it um, in a minute, but what struck me first of all is I've heard about the crossing of the Jordan since I was a little kid. You know, I've seen the flannel grass, I've been there, done that. But in reading it firsthand, like reading it in Joshua, I was so impressed by the fact that God did this miracle for a specific point. He had a purpose behind doing this. And it wasn't just to get Israel over some water. That wasn't his primary spiritual purpose behind it. That wasn't the primary meaning. Did you catch the meaning? He says it over in verse... Um, here we go. Oh, I lost my spot. Where are we at? Uh, verse 7 and 8. The Lord, the Yahweh said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. So the interesting thing about chapters 3 and 4 is there's almost more time spent telling you how you should view the crossing of the Jordan, how you should think about it, than there is actually telling you what happened. Like we have a whole chapter in chapter 4 talking about rocks. Set up some rocks to remember what happened. Like God is just saying, I I want you to know what I'm doing here. I have a purpose in this. Now, it's also interesting because in um, 7 and 8, God says to Joshua, I'm going to exalt you. The purpose is, I want the people to understand I was with Moses. I mean, who can compare to Moses? You read the New Testament and Moses gets a lot more press than Joshua, right? I mean, Moses at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Where's Joshua? I don't know. But with, with, with God, of course. But, but it seems like Moses is like the guy, the prophet, the one who met with God in the tent face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's Moses. And then you have Joshua who's taking over and God just wants to put the exclamation point on Joshua's leadership. The people know Joshua is a military leader. He's got good strategy. But is the Lord really going to work through him the way he worked through Moses? And so even the miracle of crossing the Jordan, the waters parting, reminds you of the Red Sea, doesn't it? Under Moses' leadership. There's, there's a continuity here. God's saying, I'm doing the same thing to show you that it's me. 
Okay, I'll say that again because it's important for us. I'm doing the same thing to show you that it's me. You can compare it. I'm with Joshua the way I'm with Moses. He's with you the way he's with Joshua. We can compare it here. So there's a specific purpose behind it. And then if you look at verse 10, this isn't like one of my points, but just a cool little thing I noticed that just impressed me about Joshua so much. Verse 10, uh, Joshua calls all the Israelites together and he tells them what God's going to do. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and he will certainly drive out all of those Canaanites and other ites. Um, What does he not say? He doesn't say, this is so you're going to know I'm the guy. (laughs) That God is with me the way he's with Moses. I'm your leader. He doesn't say that, does he? He's just like, this is so you're going to know that God is among you, all of you, and me, all of us. We're all in this together. There's no boastfulness here. There's no like, this, this whole crossing of the Jordan, it's not about keeping your feet dry, it's about me. He doesn't do that. You see the humility in his leadership? Like, uh, sometimes, sometimes we talk about God's working in our life in such a way that we make people think it's really because of us. You know, it's because I prayed all night that God showed up. It's because I was worshiping so strongly that I felt God, you know, when really it's just God's grace. You're as bad as the next person. I'm as bad as the next person. I don't deserve any of this. And Joshua, in humility, says, God's going to prove that he's here. And the people are going to connect the dots. Oh, yeah. He's with our leader, the way he's with Moses. This reminds me of the Red Sea. Even though I wasn't even there, my dad told me this is exactly how it happened. Okay. So, seeing that God works in similar patterns throughout history, and knowing that this this passage, these chapters are here for our instruction in the Lord's presence and how he's with us, how did Israel experience God that day? Four things, and you have them in your notes. Four ways that they knew God was there. Number one, they experienced his holiness. They experienced his holiness. If you notice verse 3, it says, When you see the ark of the covenant of Yahweh your God and, uh, excuse me, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then it says in verse 4 at the end, But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Then Joshua says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow Yahweh will do amazing things among you. Okay, so you've got... The Ark of the Covenant that represents God's presence on earth, it's holy. You need to stay a thousand yards away from it because if you get too close to it, and and heaven forbid that you touch it because if you do, you will die. I mean, it happened. We read about a guy, right? Remember the story where the the Ark was coming in to Jerusalem and it was on a cart and and, uh, whatever animal was pulling it kind of stumbled and the the Ark's going to fall off the cart and the guy reaches out to study the Ark and then he touches it and he drops down dead? See, he thinks, I don't want to get the Ark of the Covenant dirty. That'd be bad. But he, reali- he doesn't realize that his hands are dirty. I mean, I mean, the soil is not dirty. His hands are dirty. He's a sinner. And he touches what is completely holy. Okay? The Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant coming in 
they knew to stay away because this represents the presence of God and His holiness. You can't go near it. And then Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. Make sure you follow all of our ceremonial laws, all the laws that God gave you, religious laws, moral laws, follow them. Purify yourselves. Make sure you're okay on this day because this day God's going to do something amazing. Consecrate yourselves. Make sure you're pure. Sometimes we're going to encounter God and it's going to be an encounter with the holy. Just, just like Israel. It, it, it's going to be like Peter in the fishing boat, right? When they catch all those fish. They hadn't caught anything all night, right? And then Jesus says, throw out on the other side. And Peter says, if you say so, I will. They catch all these fish. And Peter doesn't say, hey, we're rich. Hey, you know, let's go to the market. I can't wait to spend my money. I can't wait to whatever. Let's have a feast. What what does he say? Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Like, really? So out of all the ways you could respond to the Lord in that moment, you responded with, I just feel sinful. It's Isaiah in the throne room of God, right? Isaiah, you're, you're here with God. Not many people get to see this, right? And, and see God on the throne and, and whoever that's like. And then your response is, I have a dirty mouth. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, I got to do something. I am ruined. Why, why? Do you ever think about that? Like, why was it when Isaiah experienced God, the first thing that came to his mind was, I've said some bad things. There are times when we're going to have an encounter with God and it's going to result in us knowing that we came in contact with what is holy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to result in us saying, I am so sinful and I don't see my sin the way God does. The, the, what I did yesterday, it was like no big deal to me. But then, but then I met with God, and, and it's like he showed me how much he hates that. I don't hate it the way he does. Oh, God, help me hate this the way you do so I can be holy as you are holy. It, it's sometimes when you're worshiping, and you, you're just in the presence of God, you're worshiping with God's people, and sometimes, I personally have felt this, sometimes I just feel so small, you know? Like, I am so insignificant before the infinite God. I am so small. And, and if there's anything I want to do with my life, I want to make sure people know that God is great and, and He needs to increase in people's lives and I need to decrease, the way John the Baptist was saying, you know. I want to decrease. So, so I've had that feeling of being so much less than the, the, the amazing God who made me. I've had the experience of feeling so sinful and yet so forgiven because it's not about shame. He took our shame. He took our guilt. It's about knowing that I am so in need of a Savior. I'm not saying that when we experience God, we should feel like our, our sins make us guilty and condemned. If you feel condemnation, that's not God. J- just so we're clear, that's not God. That would be Satan accusing you. But I've certainly felt like I, I am in so, such need of a Savior. And that is experiencing His holiness. You may have that experience from time to time. Number two. Number two. Um, They heard his voice. They heard his voice. 
maybe more specifically you could say Joshua heard his voice. It says in verse 7, Yahweh said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So, so God spoke directly to Joshua. God spoke directly to Moses. In the scriptures we see God making a habit of, of audibly, I'm assuming it's audible, speaking to his leaders. Now, I think I've talked to some of you and you've said you've heard the Lord's voice. Personally, I've never experienced that. And, I, and so I have nothing to compare that to. But I certainly have experienced him speaking into my heart. I've certainly known that he has said, Niall, I want you to pray for this person. I want you to call this person. Niall, I want you to look up this verse. I, I've had verses and references in my brain that I know he's put there for me to read. He's spoken to me. So, in in some sense, I'm saying, yeah, there's kind of a mystical element to this where if if the Spirit lives in you, He's going to speak to you. He's going to impress things upon your heart. But there's also a non-mystical part of this too, where when you open your Bible, do you expect God to speak to you in it? Do, Do you anticipate hearing His voice when you read? Because some people say, well, I've never felt, I've never heard His voice. He never said anything to me like that. And I get jealous when I hear other people saying that they hear His voice. I want that. You can have that. Maybe not audibly, because I'm leaving that up to Him. I don't demand things of God. But you can have that when you open your Bible and say, Lord, meet me. We call this the Word of God. This is His voice. When you open this anticipating to hear Him, you will. I've, I've told you before, I think, my, my normal method of devotions, you probably get tired of hearing me say it, I usually read a chapter three times over and I ask God to lead me to one verse that he wants for me. Like one verse is just from him to me. If I choose the wrong one, it's still not the wrong one. You know, it's, it's his word. I, I anticipate hearing from him here. So, whether, whether you have an experience of God's impressions on your heart, or whether you just open this up, which, by the way, should be the thing we consistently do, you're hearing from God. Because you're going to read things that He wants you to know on that day. You know, we, we all know about being honest, right? But when you read about it in here, and then you start comparing your life to it, you're like, God, I know why I read that verse today. I was dishonest the other day, right? Like, I know that you hate lying, but when I read about it here, I see it in my life. This is the mirror, right? This is the mirror. Like, you know, some of you know this stuff, but God wants to meet you freshly in it. Some of you might just need to uh, pray and, and maybe have a time of silence before God where you let Him impress things on your heart. It, it, where it's, it's not just a one-way conversation. It's you sitting in silence and saying, God, would you tell me something today? Or maybe it's you saying, God, I know you want me to evangelize. You want me to share my faith. Who is it? Who should I be praying about sharing my faith with? Then you close your eyes, you sit there in silence, and you see who he brings to your mind. You say, well, that's just me. I'm I'm just conjuring that up, right? Or do you have, as the Apostle Paul says, the mind of Christ? When Christ did ministry, he wasn't going around directionless, like maybe I'll heal this person, maybe I'll do... No, no, he had purpose and direction, and you better believe he gives that to you too. You have the mind of Christ, Paul says. Okay, they heard his voice. They heard his voice. Number three, 
They stepped into the water by faith. Number three, they stepped into the water by faith. Uh, Did you catch how this all went down? Uh, Verse 8. Let's see. Verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So God's saying, I'm not going to part the water right away. Tell the priest to go stand in the water. And then in verse 15, they do it. Uh, Check this out. Verse 15. The Jordan's at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. I love this. They had to step into the water before the water stopped flowing. They, They had to take a step of faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do before they saw the miracle, before they saw God work. That preaches pretty good, doesn't it? You know, like, seriously. How many things does God impress upon our heart to do, and we kind of know what the first step is, but we don't know how it's all going to turn out? You know, honestly, I wish God told me everything that was going to happen to me while I'm in Uganda and the things I can expect, but it's probably better that he didn't. I know that the end result is he wants me to adopt a child, but I don't know what's going to happen during the process. I only know to take the step of faith out into the water. Peter only knew to take a step of faith out of the boat. And so, for you, it might mean, I got a phone call to make that I've been putting off for way too long, and that person that I'm calling might not hear me, not, might not receive me, might not want to hear a word I say, but I owe them this. I know God has moved me to do this. And so you pick up the phone and you dial. And you don't know if the waters are going to part or not. But you get your feet wet. You might have an apology long overdue. You might have a conversation about Christ with someone that you know needs Him and you've been putting it off because you just worry it's going to come across too strong. You're not going to know what to say. But you're with that person every day. And the step to step into the water means, hey, can we talk during lunch? I have something really important I wanted to share with you. I want to tell you something that's very important in my life, and I've just been putting it off because I'm so scared about what you're going to say. You step out. God, were you calling me to go on that missions trip? I've never done anything like that in my life. Short-term missions, going to work somewhere? I'll sign up. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how you're going to provide the money. I'm stepping out. I don't know. But if we were in a church of people who stepped out into the Lord's will, that'd be powerful. That'd be powerful. Okay. Um, I'll say this too. Just about stepping out. I, I love that the Bible tells us that when they stepped out, it said the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water. They were going with the presence of God. So let me say the same thing I said last week and just say it again, just to put an exclamation point on it. When you step out in faith into God's will, it might be the most terrifying thing in the world, but when you know it's Him, you can guarantee He's going with you on that. He is with you on that first step. When you say, I need to apologize for something I did to you. (laughs) You don't know how it's all going to turn out, 
But you better believe he's going with you to do it. The Ark of the Covenant went into the water. And then the waters parted. Okay. They stepped into the water. Uh, Fourthly, fourthly, and lastly, they crossed a huge barrier. They crossed a huge barrier. Again, when you look at 15 and 16, the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. But as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. Okay, so the Jordan is flooding. How are we getting across? God's getting us across. When you have times where you couldn't possibly remove the barrier in your way and it gets taken out, you know it's the Lord. Maybe I've shared this before, but I remember, I told some of you my wife has nerve damage in her mouth. Incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. And uh, there was a time when her medicine stopped working and we prayed and, uh, and she went forward in church for prayer one Sunday when we had like a healing kind of service. And I don't know if God made the medicine work or if God just took that pain away, but it went away. And, and so I know when a barrier is removed... It's the Lord. I know when I crawl out the back of a van that crashes in Uganda, I come out unscathed. It's the Lord. How do you get through that? It's the Lord. So when you think about your life and you think, I couldn't have made this happen, but it happened. It's the Lord. He removes barriers. Sometimes they're barriers to health. Sometimes they're barriers in relationships. We all have barriers in our life. Sometimes it's a barrier of you doing ministry that you don't want to do because you're just too frightened to do it. And somehow he gives you the courage to do it. He takes the barrier away or gives you the strength to do it in it. Praise him for that. And know that you've met with the living God. So, conclusion then. I saved my main point for last. Conclusion. Um, God wants you to be confident that He's with you. He wants you to be confident. I've given you four ways that God sometimes shows His presence in us and through us. I've given you uh, how many verses here? This is just a sampling. Deuteronomy, Psalms, Matthew, 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy. Um, Deuteronomy 3. Don't be afraid or terrified. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. David in the Psalms. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. We often fight battles in the depths, just so you know. It's not often easy. But if you're in the depths, he's there. Jesus' last words, kind of important, being last words of our Savior. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Apostle Paul Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? That would be permanent, 24-7, never leaving. When I say God shows up, like I did throughout the sermon today, (laughs) I realize I'm talking about a God who's in you permanently, you that believe in Christ. He never left. Sometimes he just makes himself known, right? Sometimes he just, like I know he's there, 
And sometimes he just lets me know that he's there. 2 Timothy 2.13 If you're faithless, he'll remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You belong to him, he will never, ever disown you. You belong to him. So it seems like Scripture is going out of its way to declare to us that God is a God who's present with us. And when you go into battle, God wants you to be confident. When you deal with that relationship, He wants you to be confident. When you deal with your own emotions that are letting you down and taking you down a path you don't want to go, He wants you to know He's there. When you step out to do something for Him in His name, He wants you to know He's there. So I've given you four ways the Israelites knew He was there. How many more are there? Well, read the Bible and you'll see how many more there are. I haven't even talked about dreams, right? There's so many other ways God lets people know, hey, I'm here. I'm here. When you're protected from dying, like I was last month, you know he's there. You know it. Now, Go to Exodus 3 very quickly with me. A few books back. Let me challenge you with something here. In the last four minutes or so here. Exodus 3 is page 41. Genesis, Exodus, the very beginning here. Um, Famous story. Moses being in the presence of God with the burning bush. It says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And then verse 4. When Yahweh saw, when Yahweh saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Verse 4. God waited until Moses noticed, right? The Lord saw, Yahweh saw that he'd gone over to look. And it strikes me that God is after people. God wants a church that is aware of His presence with us. When you wake up, are you aware that He's there? When you open your Bible, are you aware that He's there? I know one pastor that says, I set my chair up when I do my devotions because that that empty chair is for Jesus. (laughs) All he's saying is, I just want to be aware that God is here. And God wants us to be aware that he's with us 24-7. Sometimes, and the key word there is, sometimes he shows up in amazing, wondrous ways. And it reminds me of, again, of my accident in Uganda and crawling out of the back of a van. But you know what? I wouldn't want to get in a car accident once a week so that I know he's here. You know, that's fine. I don't want that. But I know that one thing he was saying to me that day was, I am here with you 
Otherwise, you would not be in the healthy condition that you're in right now. Are you aware that He's with you? Are you confident that He's with you 24-7 He'll never leave you nor forsake you? If you are, you're in a good shape to go into battle. Last verse, back to Joshua. We'll close with this. I'm not really preaching Joshua 4, but I just want to show you. Because it's, it's a wonderful chapter. <laughs> Again, Joshua 4 just is commenting on the crossing of the Jordan. You get a whole chapter like, this is what it's about, okay? Chapter 4, page 153, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, Yahweh said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take, 12, take up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan from right, right where the priests stood and carry them over with you and put them down in a place where you will stay tonight. So take twelve rocks, set them up. What's the purpose of the twelve rocks? Jump down to verse 21. Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And Yahweh your God did to the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea, where he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth, Israel, no, not just Israel, all the peoples of the earth, you could insert in your margin, Three Lakes Church, <laughs> all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of Yahweh is powerful so that you might always fear Yahweh your God. My encouragement then for parents, relatives, friends, tell stories about God showing up in your life. You know, he's with, he, you know he's with you 24-7. But tell the stories about when he made himself known. That's a more accurate way to say it. <laughs> when he made himself known. And your kids will hear the stories. They'll remember them. They'll tell their kids. And they will be so impressed and so confident that the Lord is the, heaven, is the Lord of heaven and earth. And that he met you at those times. He revealed himself at those times. And they will glorify him. Tell the stories. Tell them often. Glorify God. Let's pray.